Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable. That's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. He better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Dubai this time. But I've got my good friend with me, Pastor Chris, who's been on the podcast before a couple times. You guys that have been listening to Back to Jerusalem, you're probably used to him unless you haven't heard of the Back to Jerusalem podcast and this is your first time, in which case, uh, Pastor Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Eugene. It's great to hear your voice. Great to be back on the podcast. Good to hear yours as well, brother. Hey, for those that are just coming on for the first time on Back to Jerusalem, and maybe they've never listened to an episode where you've been a guest before, could you just give a, a quick uh, introduction to who you are? Yeah, uh, Eugene, I've been in uh, pastoral ministry for about 25 years. Me and my wife, we're still uh, love each other and love uh, love the ministry, which we consider a miracle. And uh, author of the name translation bible which uh just takes every name in the bible and uh gives its actual meaning and uh so that was a five-year project author speaker worship leader um just love 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 jesus how's that <laughs> did you just have a fight with your wife <laughs> you said <laughs> i've been married and uh no, we, and, and we still love each other <laughs> i've never heard anybody do that introduction before that's great and well, the the key thing is is uh, when you talk when you talk about we don't we don't fight, brother. We just have intense fellowship. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to start using that with some of our staff members. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. This, this is this the is some of the the most now. intense fellowship. I have a great, I have a a great wife. <laughs> Hey, Pastor Chris, I love that you're on here. I love like just kind of unpacking certain situations that kind of hit us in the real world. Um, things that, you know, might not be so cut clear, things that might happen in the Christian walk or things that we as Christians might witness on the news or social media or, or YouTube. And uh, it's nothing that we really find in our Bible per se that's black and white, though we might find uh, items or characteristics that that provide a foundation for beliefs that would lead us one way or another it may not you know be that understandable especially for a new christian and one of the things that i saw about a week or so ago and and i i wrote to you and i said hey would you be able to join us on a podcast and and kind of share your thoughts on it um was a situation with an American pastor. And since you're a pastor in America, that's one of the reasons why I thought this would be a great opportunity for um, us to ask you how you would feel about the situation. Um, on, for our audience that is listening right now, on April 18th, 2022, there was a guy by the name of Titus Hartford. And uh, he stood in front of a church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, holding a sign on public property as congregants were going in on a Sunday morning, and it was a big sign that said, the Apostle Paul taught the opposite of what Jesus taught. And um, uh, if you watch this YouTube video, video that he posted, because he filmed the whole thing, 
uh, just to make sure that if anything happened, he would be able to use that video as reference to what happened versus what you know didn't happen. And uh, so he had a first encounter on that Sunday morning while holding a sign on public property, which was a sidewalk right in front of the church parking lot. Um, the first encounter was with the church parking lot attendant who came up to him and friendly conversation just said, hey, you know, do you, maybe you can put down the sign or what are you doing here? And they, they talked back and forth, nothing big, um, but it was clear that the guy holding the sign wasn't going to go anywhere. And the, the, the parking lot attendant, for all intents and purposes, he had his own job. He, you know, he's directing cars into this church, which has quite a number of members on a Sunday morning. And then uh, second, he was then approached by an elder, I'm not sure, or an assistant pastor. He's, he, wasn't, he wasn't labeled in any way, so I don't know. And um, he wasn't really covered in the video that much. And so I'm only assuming uh, that he was an elder or an assistant pastor or somebody that had authority in the church. Um, and I get some of that authority just from the, from the clothes. Um, <laughs> the parking lot attendant was yeah. wearing cargo shorts, which is what I would have probably been wearing that Sunday morning in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And then the other guy was wearing, you know, full on, um, khakis and, and, um, tie and, and, uh, shirt. So, which was kind of like, you know, the protocol for any proper Southern Baptist church anyway. Um, and, and he approached Titus and asked him to leave and come back at a later time, which Titus said, no. And then the third was a pastor, the senior pastor comes up and he's assisted with a police, what looks like a police officer. You know, for those of you that are listening to this podcast uh, that are not American, if you go to a, a, a larger sized church in America, uh, oftentimes they'll have um, people from the local police department that will help with traffic. Just because when you have a church of three, four, 5,000 members or more, when they let out of service, you have a lot of cars entering into local traffic in a very short time and they can screw up everything on that grid. So the police department will often work together with the church uh, to help direct traffic at the end or even the beginning of the service. So the pastor was with the police officer, approached Titus and talked with him and the pastor introduced himself. He said his name, he asked for Titus's name, but Titus, because he wasn't on public property and he wasn't um, uh, breaking any laws and, and, and he was in America and the pastor was with the police officer, he, he said that he would rather not say his name or, or say his identity, um, which is his right under the Fifth Amendment and his right to not be searched under the Fourth Amendment. And, uh, and then the, the fourth encounter was a police officer who came up asked for his ID, demanded his ID. When Titus did not give his ID, he was then arrested and taken to jail. Um, so the reason I ask, and I asked you to come on the podcast, is, um, uh, is as a pastor, what, how would you deal with that situation? Would you have dealt with it in the same way as this pastor? Or uh, what is your feeling? What is your feeling of protesters being out in front of your church, protesting your church? Uh, what, is, what is your feeling? Uh, and I mean, obviously, this was not anything crude. It could have been much cruder. Um, it's something that I think you and I would probably agree with the pastor the, theologically more than the, the protester. You know, I mean, he's holding up a sign that says the Apostle Paul's a liar and, and lied about Jesus. So, um, yeah, yeah. I, I give the ground to you, sir. What say and you? Well, one of the one of the things I've learned early on is that if you don't have anyone opposing you, that's not a good sign. 
<laughs> so I would probably embrace the guy and realize that I must be up, I must be doing something right. Um, the one of the ways that we get through difficult times is when the crap hits the fan in ministry, we just kind of rejoice and think we must be right over the target because the enemy is hitting us. Uh, I had a pastor friend of mine and he said every time he ha- would have a guy come to his church, the guy would stand up in his service, declare him a heretic. But he said immediately after that guy left, revival would break out in his church. Something great would happen. So years years go by, every time he would show up, the same thing would happen. He learned to love this guy, realizing something good is about to happen. And I think, I think the way this pastor and this church handled uh, this man who was protesting uh, was not handled the right way. And we see that that's happening in our culture right now. You know, instead of getting pulled over for drinking, we're getting pulled over for thinking. <laughs> you know what I mean? We have the think police. Excuse me, have you, have you been thinking? <laughs> no, officer. You know what I mean? You know, we're, we're supposed to be thinking and engaging uh, our, our minds in, in, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And if we're not allowing people to question even some of our core beliefs, I would have to question whether or not our core beliefs are that strong. Yeah, I mean, I I find myself on the same page as you. I just I really wanted to hear, you know, how you as a pastor would have dealt with that, because I have to I have to put myself in the shoes of the protester. Right. I mean, I have to put myself in the shoes of someone who believes in the gospel. And most of the countries where I live, what I believe, what I teach is considered to be heresy. So if I feel that I need to be able to share the word of God, what is one man's heresy is another man's gospel. And uh, I, I, would, I just said this week, I was just sharing with my wife this, or I, I shared it on social media this week and I was quickly... Uh, challenged by my wife because, of course, she knows that I like to use foul language on a regular basis. So she, she, <laughs> she did not take too kindly to the quote. But uh, there was a uh, there there was you know I the reason I found this video to be honest with you is I went down these this rabbit hole uh, on YouTube one night. You know it's it's one of those things. I'm traveling. I'm laying in my bed. I'm watching YouTube. Just brainless movies that I should be ashamed of watching. And uh, one of the things that I kind of got hooked on were these audit the auditors. Have you ever seen these videos? I have not. Okay. Yeah, because you're a better Christian than me, Pastor. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but what, what it is is that it's these, uh, it's these Americans that, you know, film themselves and their encounter with the police. And, you know, I'm a big supporter of police officers. My, my oldest son was in corrections. I worked uh, for the San Marcos Police Department in San Diego uh, County for a while. My partner uh, was killed in the line of duty. So, I mean, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big supporter of the police, but I am also a bigger supporter of uh, the Constitution. And so there are uh, this thing called the audit, the auditors, where certain people will go and they'll challenge the police. And it, this is a part of that audit, the auditor, where they, they check the police's interaction. Because in this case, the police officer was a member of the church, which is great. I love the fact that you have law enforcement 
officers that are a member of the church. That just that tells me you're in good hands with the police officer. However, this was a challenge because this guy was not violating any problems, but the pastor wanted him arrested, even said so. And so this police officer, who's a member of the church, arrests this guy uh, for he didn't do anything to break the law. And so now that well, police and officer... And that's one of the points that I think they pointed out was that if if he was saying something positive about the church, then he would never have been arrested. Yep. Because he, he was on public property the entire time, not on private property. Yes, he was. And one of those videos that I was watching was another guy standing on public property, holding a sign outside of the governor's mansion. And the sign had some crude words on there. And so a couple of police officers came and told him to take down the sign. He said no. And they eventually left. To their credit, they eventually realized they had no power. And so they left. And um, when they told him, you know, your sign is considered to be vulgar. Parents are calling us because they don't want their children to see the sign. And he quoted a former chief justice. And the chief justice quote was, one man's vulgarity is another man's lyric, um, which is not meant to protect vulgarity, but it is freedom of speech that, you know, you can't, you can't go by one person's measurement of what vulgarity is. Uh, of course, my wife misread that. She felt I was. I thought as I was posting it that it represented freedom of speech. My wife saw it as I was justifying my language. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I got in trouble there. But I, I, it does make me kind of think because I am on the side of you that I, I actually think that if you believe in the truth, you should be able to withstand uh, a reasonable, yeah. you know, a reasonable amount of. Uh, I, I mean, I don't, I'm not saying that you have the guy in your church and invite him every Sunday and, and, and prompt him to stand up and yell back at you. Uh, there, there is an, a, a certain respect that you have within the, the, the congregation or, uh, you know, the sanctuary rather. Um, but outside on public property, as people are driving into the church, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a pastor. I'm not in your shoes, but I kind of. I kind of see it as an opportunity to be able to share with people why that sign is wrong or why I believe it's not biblically based. Um, or, or I why agree. I think I think it, it creates. I mean, what's the biggest problem we have in our churches is not that people are studying too much; is they're studying too little. And when I find offense with something that someone teaches. Uh, oftentimes there is a nugget that I will discover as I'm seeking to learn more, not just to refute them, but to actually learn the truth. And I think it's been a tradition, or it's been a pattern in church history where we react to error <clears throat> instead of respond to truth. And then when you're just trying to find out why is this person wrong, um, you're you're not. We always seek truth. We don't seek to react to uh, something that we hear because oftentimes there is a, a deeper truth that we discover even when we're offended because the gospel is offensive um, it's a scandal it's a what's the Greek word the scandal on it it causes you to trip and fall um, so that we are meant to be offended in our minds uh, by the gospel yes I mean that was Jesus's big message you know eat my flesh and drink my blood and you know, his book table sales went down after that. <laughs> yeah, I think that that really rings strong with me because I find if I am to look back at the times where I studied the most 
in the word of God, it was usually when I was debating someone or refuting someone. Uh, to my own discredit, I have found myself studying the Bible more from a Facebook <laughs> yeah. argument than I would from a great you know, Bible study uh, in, in, in a home group. And I, but I think that is, that's, I, look, I think of the rabbis when they would, they would uh, argue over the scriptures and yell at each other and get, and, but it was healthy when they're all done, they hugged each other. And I think that is the best environment to learn is to challenge, let's challenge one another. Well, if you believe that, do you, you know, to, to make this conversation legal, we'll add a scripture, First Corinthians 8, uh, <laughs> knowledge, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something uh, does not yet know as he ought to know, but the man who loves God is known by God. And I think that as we so are good. debating the scriptures, love has to be central. We're always responding uh, based on the truth, based on the word of God, and we're not reacting to what we think, you know, someone is off the rails. Yeah. Even though, yeah, we would disagree with this man with the sign, but if you study church history, one of the, and when you asked me to, to come on the, the podcast today, I thought about a book I read a number of years ago. Uh, it was called The Closing of the Western Mind and uh, a guy named Charles Freeman, I don't think he's a believer, but he um, went through and talked about uh, in the fourth century of the church, how when the creeds were developed, the creeds were then enforced by the Roman sword. And what that had done was, it seemingly seemed like a good idea. Hey, let's, let's keep heresy out of the church. Good idea. I think that's a good plan. But what happened was I, there was a, the, the ultimate result is people were never allowed to think again outside of the creedal statements that the church would put forth. It was a very, it's a very good book and a deep, it, it's, it's kind of a harsh uh, critique of the church in some ways, but I, I find it very valid that he points the, the uh, closing of the Western mind, which he believes led to the Dark Ages, um, because the church stopped responding to the uh, responding to truth, they started reacting to error. Love that. One of the one of the things that I'm reminded of as you were talking about that is um, uh, I, I I wrote a book called Leaving Buddha, uh, and I wrote it together with a Buddhist monk. Uh, he studied under the Dalai Lama. Is the only Buddhist monk that wow. I know of. I could be wrong, but he's the only Buddhist monk that I know of that wrote his story about leaving Islam. He was a top lama in his monastery. And um, in there, he shares very in, very much in detail uh, about his, his monastery and their day-to-day -day activities. And one of the things they did is they debated every week. They had these big debates. And what they would do is they would bring in scholars and other top lamas and famous monks and 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 they would debate with them and it's kind of like the super bowl and uh you can yeah. go to you can go to the monasteries in tibet and witness these young monks in training training to debate with one another i mean they're just 
all around in the courtyard of the monastery going at it for hours. And it is amazing to watch. And they're allowed to bring up everything. There's nothing off the table except one thing. You cannot mention Jesus. Because they believe that Jesus is this God of confusion. And he can come and take out the, the uh, rationale of any argument. And so therefore, it is illegal <laughs> to bring up Jesus in a Tibetan debate. And so it's, it's the same way to, to become a, a Jewish citizen. It's, it's uh, in Israel, like you can believe that an orange is God, but you cannot claim that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. <laughs> it's, it's the craziest thing. At, uh, but like we said, we know that that shows us right there that Jesus is the source of truth. And so they make excuses of how to keep him out of the conversation. Yeah, and it should be. And, you know, they have what's called the uh, the demonic verses, of course. I mean, there was or, sorry, the satanic verses of the Quran. Um, and uh, the guy who wrote a book called the satanic verse or the satanic verses. I mean, he's had a fatwa out on his life for a yeah. couple of decades now. And I'm doing this podcast with you. I'm calling you from Dubai. In this nation of Dubai, there are certain things you cannot say in public. Um, you know, one of the things that I love about the gospel, at least from my view of things, is that God allows us the freedom of thought, the freedom of speech, the freedom to challenge him, the freedom to reject him. Yeah. And if he allows that rejection of him, who am I to enforce the acceptance of him? And one of the things that I have seen that the enemy always does is he's the one that comes in with force. It's the enemy that uses force because the lie is so much more vulnerable than the truth. And um, I, I really embrace that part about God, that, that allowing a free. Now, you, you're not free from the consequences of your beliefs, but you are free to believe them. And, uh, and even though I disagree with the guy that was hold, holding the sign wholeheartedly, to my core, I disagree with him. I completely support his, his right to challenge the church, um, to disagree with the church, and to share his disagreements with others, especially in such a peaceful way. I mean, he's a, you know, a, 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 go ahead. Yeah, he did, he did a very good job of, uh, of handling himself and in responding, and I guess what's on my heart right now is, is there are times when we hear something spoken from the pulpit or even a, a leader that we respect, and it causes us to feel offended. It almost feels like what you just said is off. It's unbiblical. It's heretical. Uh, and what happens is sometimes, and we don't know if, is, is what did what they just say was that not truth is that why i'm offended or is it stretching my wine skin and i've you've ever been at that place before where you heard something you were offended and later to find out you were the one that was actually in the wrong your wine skin was being stretched and probably burst because it couldn't handle the new wine that was being poured into your old wine skin and i think we don't uh, we have to teach even, you know, with our congregants and the people that we, we influence just because 
I just offended you by what I said. Uh, I think it was Harry Truman. He said, you know, he was known as give him hell, Harry. And uh, he said, he says, I don't give people hell. They just, just, they just had never experienced reality before. And it feels like hell to them. (laughs) So, uh, you know, I think sometimes we don't realize that this is reality. And because we weren't prepared for it, or we had, like Jesus said, the, the old wine skin, and we were trying to pour new wine, new wine into old wine skins, and we're bursting. Like we're, it's a mess. We feel all offended, and it's like, no, no, it's because your wine skin wasn't ready. Maybe. So it's just learning how to handle things that we disagree with, or come again, you know, even though they're, they're respectable people, we're like, is that really true? Is that, is that the gospel? Is that truth? So, yeah, I think that that's a really good way to look at it because in that church, it, and I don't want to judge the pastor, but let me just say as someone who saw only a little bit of, of a clip of him, which is not fair to him of me to kind of rate his character in any way, shape or form or fashion, but it does make me ask the question of, you know, compared to other churches that I've been in, are we just so used to having our own way in the sanctuary that certain leaders in the church have so much, you know, power that, and there's nobody that ever disagrees with them week after week after week. So they have, and of course we talk about the sanctuary as like a holy place to worship God, but I, I'm referring to a sanctuary that's almost like a reserve at the zoo. Like this is their environment. Don't disturb it. And so are we as Christians creating our own environment saying, don't disturb our environment, that the pastor is so used to telling people what to do, what to think, when to do it, that when somebody disagrees, there inside of them comes up this feeling of how dare you, sir, defy my authority. And so I, I wonder, there is a part of me that wonders, I'm not saying that's the case here, but I wonder if we as Christians are used to getting our way in our own environments, in our own sanctuary, protected by uh, a cushion of believers that surround us, a cushion of yes-men every Sunday and Wednesday. What growth is there in that? Uh, I, I, I love... The, the, uh, the, what you just said about, you know, Harry Truman, that uh, it wasn't hell that they experienced. It was just their first time experiencing reality. reality. Yeah, that's really good. Well, what, what, um, what the, uh, the closing of the Western mind, Charles Freeman also, he, he mentioned that faith in the fourth century became agreeing with the church doctrine instead of this living, active belief in what is in the unseen, um, you know, faith is defined as believing God exists and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, but it's switched to this agreement with what church leaders and Constantine, who was not a very godly man, poisoned his own son, killed, killed one of his wives like two years after the Council of Nicaea. Um, it, I, I have mixed feelings about the uh, the councils, the church councils, because mm. of that mm. influence yeah. that uh, of the control that says, oh, here are the beliefs of the church, but if you don't believe them, we're going to kill you. <laughs> I mean, what? Yeah. You know, yeah. I have to, I had to tell, uh, I, and I, I mentioned this at our partnership class, I say you do not have to agree with everything 
your pastor teaches you. You can you can disagree because I had a woman came up to me shaking one day like, do I have to believe everything you believe? I'm like, no, <laughs> you know, if you have questions, ask. Um, that's how you grow, uh, and that's and that's what we that's what we want. We want to create an environment where people are searching the scripture. They're being the Bereans of Acts. And if they hear something, they go back to the word. Uh, if they hear something they disagree with, they go back into the word and they study it out and they come back. Well, and I have to tell you, Pastor people- Chris, um, we are we, we're, we're running short on time. But if you would if you would agree to it, I would love to find a time that works for you. Uh, in the near future uh, and discuss the Nicene Creed. You brought up something that I've never discussed on our podcast before, and we don't have to go deep into it, but I, I mean, you you brought it up, and I would love to talk more about it just because what you said, I've never really unpacked before. However, in China, we have an impact by the Nestorian Christians, and the Nestorian Christians were yeah. were blackballed by, the, by those that adopted the Nicene Creed creed and um and those those uh believers that came out of the nestorian movement uh made amazing missionaries in china yeah. and uh, even though they were they were considered heretical and you know uh, they had uh death warrants sent out for them um to bring them back dead these leaders that that believed in in things that were not necessarily adopted by the nicene creed uh, much of what they believed and they were being attacked for is what we just naturally adopt today um, as Christians. Yeah. So if you have time, I would love to bring you back on and ask you know you to share with our audience some of the some of the the things that uh, you have found challenging with the Nicene uh, Council. I think that, I think that will be super, and I think we need to encourage people to to think and to go deeper into the Word and not. Um, not be controlled. We as leaders, we have to set the standard that we want people to ask healthy questions, study them out, and not be weak by threatening people with expulsion. I mean, there are some basics that we believe, but at the same time, we have to let people grow in their understanding of the word and not uh, put boundaries around it through our statements or even our creeds. I think can be, they can be stumbling blocks. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to, let's do it. Awesome. Love it. Pastor Chris. Thanks so much. I'd be amiss if I didn't uh, tell people about the amazing Bible translation that you have called the name translation TNT, like dynamite. Uh, If people want that Bible, they can go to the name translation.com writing that out. The name translation.com pastor Chris brother, always a pleasure. Look forward to talking to you again soon, Eugene. God bless. All right. Love you, brother. Bye. Love you. Bye-bye. And thank you for joining us for another Back to Jerusalem podcast. Again, I'm Eugene Bach, your host for the time, coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Dubai. God bless you.